In episode 5 of Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy, we discuss aspects of cardiovascular and strength training and how you can apply it to your goal. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. Welcome to episode five of the podcast. And today's episode, Mike, I didn't actually know what to call the actual podcast, if I'm being completely honest. So I've nicked a quote from Brett Contreras and I actually thought it was from one of our coaches at the gym, but it's actually not. He was ripping it off. <laughs> and he he prayed if you think lifting weights is dangerous try being weak being weak is dangerous Ouch, wow yeah that's definitely going to get some eyebrows raised the rock style isn't it straight to the point mate straight to the point so when you say being weak is dangerous what do you mean by that thing is everyone being strong is different in every single individual and this yeah. is more just around training really and how training can benefit your life whether that is prevent stuff like osteoporosis and sarcopenia, improve mm. cardiovascular fitness, basically live a life absent of disease and illness. I guess when you delve deeper into the context of the statement, it makes a lot more sense. So I think moving forward today, is, it'd be good to find out how different types of exercise can benefit different types of people. Um, especially, I know if, if people listen to this a year down the line, um, they may not quite get it. But in this situation, we are currently sort of in lockdown mode at the moment um, and where people's goals have maybe changed a little bit. Um, and with potentially gyms opening within the next few months, people might want to start realigning their goals up ready to when the gym's open and they can start training again. Even if your goal is still currently the same, you can still work around different areas to yeah. ensure you, you can actually achieve your goal in a lot more effective manner when you do go back. And I think today's going to be the perfect podcast for that. Okay, so I'll, I'll get you guys there. If you get a pen and paper real quick, draw it like a pyramid. Now, in this pyramid, say at the top of the pyramid, we've got health. In the bottom left-hand corner, we've got performance. And in the bottom right-hand corner, we've got fat loss and aesthetics. Now, the way to set a goal is to actually realign what edge of the pyramid you're going to veer to the most. Now, if we look at general health, that is just random exercise that is exercise for fun that is turn up at the gym or just do what you want on that day if you fancy going for a run we go for a run if we fancy doing some weights we do weights if we i know you're a fan mike if you do zumba you can do zumba ricky martin hips <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that would be general health you know that is just exercise for pure enjoyment now when we look at a specific goal we've got to look at specific training to elicit that goal Otherwise, we're yeah. not always going to quite get there. So, for example, if I had a client come up to me and said, I would like to deadlift double my body weight, which is a performance goal. Yeah. But then also lose three stone. Now, not saying that person couldn't do that, because maybe, maybe some people could, but the majority of people can't, because yeah. they're two opposite ends of the spectrum. So in order to deadlift double your body weight, you need to build strength, you need to probably take on more calories, you need to be training a bit more volume. And to elicit fat loss and lose two, three stone, you're going to be in 
deficit. You're going to be doing a lot of sort of resistance training that isn't going to be very specific to the deadlift. So when we look at training, we've got to think whether it's six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, what are we going to focus our training more towards? I guess you have to take into account the level they start at. I guess some people come to the gym with experience of elite training. Some people come to the gym with experience of no training. So we have to program yeah. that correctly. I would always advise if, you, if you're starting off from absolute scratch is just enjoy exercise. First of all, find something you really enjoy doing. Then they might veer more towards a performance goal, i.e. building a bit of strength, whatever yeah. it may be. Do you agree, Mike? I think you hit the nail properly on the head there. When you are starting exercise, the key is to try and build good, healthy habits. A little referral to last week. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoy exercise safely. By doing something, you are still going to benefit your health. So don't feel that you have to follow the, the newest strength program or you have to follow the, the couch to 10K in, in 10 weeks. If you enjoy Zimba class. Zimba class, like myself, or a Pilates <laughs> class, then that's absolutely fine because you're still doing your health massive benefits. And one thing that I like to encourage new clients to do is to incorporate some form of cardiovascular exercise. And that's got massive benefits, not only for your cardiovascular health, but that can also benefit training both aesthetically and also performance wise. And I know Matt's going to go into the main two types of different yeah. cardio that we can Is do. You- as you said there, Mark, as well, I think when people think of cardio and strength training as completely two different separate things, both of them do complement each other quite well. Mm-hmm. You know, you need an element of cardiovascular fitness to recover between sets, reps and things like that. Then also to perform cardiovascular fitness, well, you need an element of strength and muscular integrity. Absolutely complement each other. If you are looking to performance or any form of aesthetics, then recommend combining the two to get the right base going forward yeah so the first one we're going to go actually into is going to be probably more traditionally known low intensity steady state so your list training this is what probably most people are more familiar with when it comes to cardio i.e going for a run jumping mm. on a cross trainer and with list cardio the good thing is it is quite low risk when it comes to injury yeah um, you're building a good aerobic base so it means you're working possibly between 50 and 65% of your maximum heart rate. Um, So in simple terms, it's like just getting a bit of a sweat on, isn't it, Mike? Getting the heart beating a little bit more, but not like being sick in your mouth job. So if you're finding that you're getting to the point where you can't hold a conversation, I'd just consider just running in slightly and not going too hard too soon. By doing this type of cardiovascular work, it got massive health benefits for your heart. It also gets your body used to breaking down carbohydrates and fat quite mm. efficiently as well. It could be on the bike. It could be like a, a slow run. It could be even going for a medium pace walk. That's still a form yeah. of aerobic exercise. Doing this type of activity helps if you ever decide to do high intensity as well. So it's got yeah. huge benefits for performance and also health. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is with like low intensity steady state is kind of a step up from you generally just moving a bit more. So if I was taking an untrained individual and there was a position where there was walking loads and they got to the point where they maybe couldn't fit in as much walking and movement as possible, then you'd follow more a low intensity steady state protocol. I, mm. as Mike said, going for small jogs and what have you. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got triathletes, Ironmen, which are all low intensity steady state forms of sport as it were 
when it comes to doing sort of any form of sport, you'll be playing five aside, you could be playing Premier League football. You're still utilizing these energy systems and arguably pretty much all sports are aerobic in the fact that they go for a prolonged period of time. So when you talk about aerobic activity, you're looking at generally anything greater than anything after a minute of exercise and it turns into an aerobic exercise. So even though some boxing is pretty high intense by the fact that they're still fighting for three minutes per round and over say 10 rounds, it's still a form of aerobic activity, yeah. but they do have bursts of high intensity activity, which I know Matt's going to go a bit more into. Yeah. So the, the glamorized hit training, which has kind of been used up the last few years, hasn't it? Um, as the golden child of cardio <laughs> training, as it were. I mean, yes. yeah. So if you don't know, the hit training is basically high intensity interval training, sorry. And it's usually done between 70 and 90% of your maximum heart rate. So compared to the low intensity, which is about 50 to 65%, it is theoretically a lot harder and intense. Mm. Usually done effectively in a ratio of two to one. So say you're working really hard for 30 seconds, i.e. sprinting, then you're resting for at least a minute minimum and mm. then repeating the process. And compared to low intensity, it's done over a shorter time frame, i.e anywhere from 15, 20 to even 30 minutes. When you go beyond that 30 minute threshold, then it doesn't really become high intense anymore because the performance is going to be harder to achieve after that period of time. Yeah, and no one can maintain 100% intensity for a long period of time. It's just physically mm. not possible. Even the guys at the top, you see Usain Bolt running at 200 meters, he's, towards the end of the race, his speed slows down because he can't maintain that 100% intensity regards to performance side of things a bit different and I don't want to go too deep into the technical stuff just so I don't lose you all like I can see Matt's <laughs> eyes start to go and go and oh, oh, no. here we go here we go he's off on one he's <laughs> off on one he's off on one again but just two terms just to take note of uh phosphogen essentially is a high energy storage compound under animals so phosphogen think of it as high energy storage and ATP because that is an energy currency of life. So it's a high energy molecule found in every cell and it provides energy to us to drive stuff as muscle contraction. So with the anaerobic side of things, we've got two different types. We've got the explosive efforts. So less than 10 seconds, a 100 meter sprint or in weightlift, a clean or a snatch. So what happens is here, we don't actually use any form of carbohydrates to perform that movement. It's generally that high energy phosphogens generally give us that quick capacity for generating the ATP required for that movement, but it's only that short burst. On the next part of it, so we go into the anaerobic lactate system. So that's basically the breakdown of carbs yep. in the absence of oxygen. So that's high intensity efforts between sort of 10 seconds to a minute. What happens here is that we start to get that waste product being lactic acid. So when the rate of demand for energy is really high, the lactate is produced by the body and we then can't process it fast enough so we, hence that burning feeling comes on and we have to slow down hmm. this is why it's a different sort of types of energy in a high intensity but when you do that your circuit classes or your hit stuff you're generally going to work between the, the second part of the yeah. anaerobic system yeah i'm quite interested in this but you know when you think of like the guys who do tour de france mm. that, that do, they almost train themselves to to recover from that lactic acid quicker that sort of that burst when they're doing like a hill sprint yes. and almost rejuvenate that energy system quicker so they can do it again can that be trained anyone in professional sport will have what's called a really good lactate threshold so they'll be able to 
remove lactic acid and then get back up into that sort of intensity sooner than say the average person. Look mm. at say Mo Farah during a 5k run. Yes, it's an aerobic form of exercise, but at some points of that run, he may increase his speed. And then at the end, he's got the ability to go for that last sprint finish. Yeah. Like yesterday for a bike ride, when I got to a hill, I just hit that hill as hard as I could. Got to the point halfway up where I slowed right down again, had a 10 second break and then went again. So it's just yeah. my lactic acid kicking in and then my body just couldn't remove that in a quick enough state. So I had to then slow down and go into my aerobic system and then I could then push again back yeah. into my anaerobic system as well. You're leading on to our next point. That's kind of why high intensity interval training isn't for every individual because you've got mm-hmm. a lot of uh, people maybe just started exercise, not done anything for 10 years, jumping into a HIIT workout um, and yeah. possibly not be able to recover quick enough. And if you're doing a lot of plyometric work, like jump squats, jump lunges, box jumps, if you're an untrained individual, it can be very, very dangerous. And yeah. if you're not going to be able to recover by the next interval, then you're not really going to get as much out of your training. Generally, most people do start HIIT training not for really sport. I mean, there is a place for that as well if you're a performance athlete. But a lot of people maybe put on the pedestal hit training as a magic fat loss tool. Like you mentioned, it can be great for performance-related goal. So when you are doing your runs, you can recover better from, a, say, a hill run or, a sp- or if you need to ramp up your speed during a run as well. And I know we spoke about this offline in regards to a common misconception and with that being what's called EPOC, when you hear the term epoch, Matt. Okay, so it make, makes my eyes roll a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, because I mean, that's the thing, because to be fair, mate, nowadays anyone can write anything on the internet and people will believe it. Epoch just stands for excess post oxygen consumption. So that, that's the way of just saying your body is going to be sort of breaking down carbohydrates and fats 38 hours after you finish the training and continue to burn energy, i.e. calories. Now, the thing is, this is only between 6 and 15%. It's been researched. So top end, 15%. So if we take Mike over here, who runs for an hour at steady state. Not very fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's say, for example, Mike burns 600 calories for that hour. Now, Mike decides to do some hit training. So he decides to do 20 minutes. So in that 20 minutes, he's going to burn 200 calories. Okay. But then we put the halo effect of epoch on. So if, he, if he's going to do, say, top end 15% extra calories burnt off the session, it's only going to amount to about 30 calories extra, which in the grand scheme of things isn't... Half good. an apple, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Not even <laughs> peanut butter or it, nothing. It's just half oh, an apple. Oh, not even that. There you go. Yeah. So this whole notion of it's a, a, a magic cure for fat loss, it is just a myth. Um, and the same with strength training, because it is quite almost a scary term. Um, because when if you're taking someone who has no idea about strength training, resistance training, helping you dress it up, people might think of powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongmen. Now these are, you know, guys and girls who are on the performance end of our pyramid. So these these guys are training to I lift the heaviest weight. The powerlifting yeah. is is measured on bench press, squat, and deadlift. Um, strong men, it, it's usually awkward objects over, you know, about five or six different sort of rounds, as it were. Um, yeah. And that's a mixture of high reps, low reps, whatever. And then you've got weightlifting, which is uh, the two Olympic lifts, which is snatch and clean and jerk. Now, 
if an individual was going down this route, then performance would be the goal, not aesthetics. So it doesn't matter how these guys look. Eddie Hall couldn't give a shit how he looks. He wants to be the strongest deadlifter in the world. Them guys, they don't care about abs. They don't care about having pec lines. They don't care about having perfectly rounded carved glutes. It's about being the best. It's one thing that I struggled with when I started to do a lot more performance based. I used to go to the gym and just work on my biceps and my shoulders. We think you look on TV and you think, wow, that guy's like huge. And I wouldn't break down what's required. And especially with regards to performance and, and sport, you need to analyze mm. what the most common movements that you do in that sport are and what muscles are required for it and how to get better. Because ultimately, a lot of these guys are superior physical beings naturally some of these guys will just pick up a weight and just get hench and that's just mm. but then you've got the flip side of other guys who if you look at some professional players especially rugby you think how the hell is he doing what he's doing but he physically may not look the part but he may have ridiculous amount of strength as well so strength isn't purely a physical look so a physical yeah. size but generally the rule of thumb is yeah that the bigger you are the more potential to get stronger so when these guys train what sort of rep ranges would they train in so yeah, regards to like the strong men, they're looking at about one to three reps, you know, eighty-five to hundred percent of their max effort. And these guys do spend a lot of time training in this one particular area, but they also spend time in different other training phases, up to six reps and sometimes twelve, fifteen reps as well, because strong men do high like maximum yeah. effort for a minute. So they do need to require muscular endurance i think that's like you say you've got to be completely specific with your training you know if you're you're a rugby player doing a bunch of bicep curls isn't really going to do anything amazing for your game is it it comes down to the stage at which you start training so you could be an amazing rugby player but i've never touched a weight in your life so in that case you're better off just starting just with some bodyweight squats but now you get a lot of sports now mike as well where people apply other training protocols. Say, for instance, Mo Farah. He mm. was an average sort of middle distance runner, wasn't he, for a while. And yes. then he went over to the States and introduced a lot of strength training to his training. And he's like off-season. And then yeah. he come back, start breaking all these world records, et cetera, et cetera. So there is, referring back to earlier in the podcast, there is a nice, each can help each other. A lot of yeah. marathon runners, they'll still strength train to a degree. They won't train like a, a power lifter, weight lifter, or a strong man, but they'll yeah. do strength training movements in order to become better runners and vice versa. Yeah, and a lot of the performance side can be carried over into aesthetics and speak to any strength coach out there. And you've mentioned the name, sorry, Tudor Bomper. He's a retired professor from York University, Toronto, regarded worldwide as a leading specialist in the area of coaching and fitness. Well, the man's published 14 books and over 100 research papers, so he, he pretty much knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, fair play, mate. Fair play, mate, yeah. <laughs> um, and what he does, he, he speaks about the five laws of strength training, and I'll quickly summarize them. He goes through number one, which is develop joint flexibility. So most strength training requires an entire range of movement for all joints, and that can help prevent strains and injuries and also just just help performance and Number two is develop tendon strength. And I think it's something that perhaps a lot of us don't think about too much. So muscles strength improves faster than tendon and ligament strength. He mentions without that proper anatomical adaptation, which essentially is your start base. So rather than going straight from a bodyweight squat into a 
barbell jump squat. He says, you know, you need to train through all stages to allow your ligaments and tendons to adapt as well. Mm-hmm. So when you do lift heavy, they can handle the load. Uh, number three is core strength, a big thing. So it's okay having strong arms and strong legs, but if you haven't got the, the trunk strength, then you can't transfer that to all that power between the two. So core strength, he refers to as abs, abdominal muscles, internal, external obliques, fat muscles, that's your inner fat muscles and outer ones as well, the deep layers of the vertebral column and your hip flexors, mainly the iliac psoas. Okay. Number four, developing your stabilizers. For example, if you're going to throw a tennis ball, the stabilizer would be your abdominals. So your arm throws a ball, your core stabilizes the movement. Law number five, he mentions train movements, not muscles. This is more for performance-based. Athletes should try to resist training muscles in isolation as in bodybuilding. Single joint movements. Athletic skills are multi-joint movements. They occur in like a certain order, like a kinetic chain. When people start training, it almost goes down this Frankenstein model of like mm. isolating everything. When what you're saying as well is train, that's sort of almost that kinetic chain between your body where you're training everything to move well that has got benefits to it as well so don't think well i'm I'm slating you here for doing that sort of thing i'm talking about more for the sports performance and when you are doing rehabilitation you may only be able to do a hamstring curl so that's an isolation movement you yeah because because i guess like i said if people have got imbalances i mean that's what i've stressed to a lot of my clients during this time as well if you've got imbalances i.e like say a deadlift if you've got weak hamstrings or glutes or maybe unable to retract your shoulders back at the start. Of the mm. These are quite good things to practice now and yeah. work on. So when you go back into the gym environment, when you have the accessibility of, of loading up a bar, you've yeah. kind of trained these smaller muscle groups to enable a bigger deadlift. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, there are so many different types of strength training you can have online. And every strength program is the one. Oh yeah, these crazy ones. So, but he he talks about the, and that comes back to an old school uh, story back in Greek mythology. What from your old school? You're not that old. (laughs) He talks about the first person to apply the principle of progressive increase of load was Milo of Croton. Oh, what a what a boy! If I have another child, I'm gonna call it Milo of Croton. That's gonna be that's it. Um, And to become the world's strongest man, Milo started to lift and carry a calf every day. As the calf grew heavier, Milo grew stronger. And by the time the calf was a full-grown bull, Milo was the world's strongest man thanks to long-term progression. Don't want you guys going out now and finding like the nearest bull farm and start just carrying bulls everywhere. Workload and training must increase gradually according to each athlete's mm. abilities. So it's like a progressive overload of your body rather than going from like a calf one day and then bull next day. Because actually you're just end up getting flattened. Yeah, <laughs> and probably impaled. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the most important word is there is progressive overload, mate. That's that that hands down. I mean, when I used to work at commercial gym, you see a lot of people come and do the same workout every day. Yeah, same weight, mm. same reps, and yeah. almost go, why, why am I not getting any benefit from this exercise? And yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. And, and, and during these times, then Matt, and people haven't got. A lot of equipment at home what would you advise them or how could you get them to progressively overload yeah i mean first of all when we look at sort of this whole umbrella of strength training we've gone into the sort of performance 
sports as it were, but bodybuilding is essentially the same as resistance training. Just think of bodybuilding as the most extreme version of resistance training. It's right on the end of the spectrum. The body fat is below 5%, you know, the... um, trying to maintain as much lean muscle as possible so we're thinking of resistance training somewhere being not as extreme as bodybuilding this is what generally most people do in the gym so all bodybuilding or resistance training is two movements is an eccentric which is a lengthening of movement so think of like a bicep curl think of lowering your arm down nice and slow letting your arm lengthen that is the eccentric so we're controlling that with tension and then the concentric is the shortening phase where you almost pull the dumbbell up towards your shoulder Now, most people do this in a rep range of anywhere between 6 to 15 to 20 reps. And essentially what you're doing is micro-tearing the muscle. So then you're going through this adaptation phase of where your body's going to rebuild itself with adequate protein, rest, and overload. And then then muscles are going to grow back thicker, stronger, and be able to deal with that load. So in essence, we have to increase the load over time to put that mm. bicep under more stress. So when we're in this position, Mike, of not be able to grab an extra weight, we've got to be yeah. a bit more imaginative with how much stress we can put that muscle over, under as, sorry. So let's think of another exercise such as like a split squat. So those guys who aren't sure what a split squat, think of like a static lunge. So you go mm-hmm. in a lunge position, now you're gonna lower yourself down really slow. So already you're modifying it with a very, very, very slow tempo, a slow eccentric. Then when you're gonna push up, you're gonna push up slow. This is gonna be a slow concentric. So essentially you're putting the muscle under more tension. So that is one way you Ouch, can yeah. ouchies, you can increase overload without adding weight. You can also do things like minimize rest time. You can yeah. Um, increase the sets without mm. adding load and you can still make progression now when you yeah. stop making progression with a movement when you i maybe do the same weight for the same reps over time your body is going to adapt to that stimulus so we've got two pathways if your body adapts then at first of all you're going to build some muscle but then if yeah. your body gets used to that stimulus then you start to actually lose muscle which is called atrophy yeah and so then you have to increase that load by a minuscule amount, slow the tempo down, minimize the rest, increase the set, whatever it may be, and mm. then you're gonna be overloading that muscle week by week. And that is called yeah. hypertrophy. I'll get slightly a lot of saying hypertrophy. I know a lot of people say hypertrophy. Hypertrophy. <laughs> hypertrophy. <laughs> so yeah, so whatever sort of any training you do at home or in the gym, there needs to be progression. Yeah. A bit of structure, mm. definitely. Again, you, you know, especially that burning feeling you're getting, that lactic acid coming in, and your body's learning how to process that a lot more efficiently. So yeah. you can, therefore, your performance during your session will improve as well. Not only will your long-term goal of aesthetics improve, but your ability to, to perform better during that session as well will help. Yeah. I mean, doing this, this sort of training is an effective way to build lean muscle, essentially, mm. which is going to be good for anyone with a transformation goal or a fat loss goal because the more um, lean body mass you have on the body essentially the more aesthetically better you will look the leaner you will look the toned look and it goes back to the start of the podcast when you talk about health looking to increase your lean muscle you are improving your health to a certain to a certain extent you know there are also extreme versions you know we have to be careful of not to like over overload our body too much then obviously we have a detriment of health 
but all this all goes back to that health being the most important thing. Oh, definitely. And this is quite a nice conclusion for next week's podcast, Matthew. Mm, yes. So we've got a special guest on, Mike, haven't we? We have. And the special guest is a general practitioner. And he also was the lead football club, so Pitchside Doctor, last season and the season before that. Um, his name is Dr. Rahul Akera. And I've known this young man since I was 14. So he is a valuable friend of mine, but he also is an absolute genius. And yeah. we'll be asking you guys all this week to, if you have any questions. Yeah, it'd be pretty exciting to have a guest on as well, Mike. Especially with the knowledge yeah. in the medical sense that he has. Yeah, lovely. And guys, yet again, thank you so much for following us on Spotify and iTunes, um, sharing the post on the socials and tagging us in it. We do really appreciate it. We're glad so many people have reached out and said thank you for the podcast. It's been really useful content, valuable content. Um, yeah, again, if there's any subject you, you want us to talk about, we're more than happy to take that on board. Um, let's leave you with a quote. I'm going to say, get strong or die trying. What are you going to say, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stay safe guys you know what I say every week (laughs) thank you guys see you later